0: Let me start off and tell you a little bit about uh, the ladies' night coming up Tuesday night. I want to encourage you to plan to be here. Ladies of all ages, plan to invite somebody to join you. Uh, We've got three events uh, coming up over the course of the summer. The first one is this coming Tuesday at 6 o'clock from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock. The first one is going to be a panel discussion of some ladies that we've picked to talk about uh, their Christian walk. What things benefited them? What were things that added to that? What were what were things that were uh, hard in that, and really just a sharing of their wisdom uh, with our church ladies. And so it's going to be a great night. Going to be great food, uh, pork tenderloin, all the stuff that goes with that. Going to be a great menu. Uh, That's at six six o'clock this coming Tuesday. The next one coming up in July is going to be a Price Is Right game night. We've got the games from the Price Is Right, the wheel, and the plinko, and all that stuff. That's going to be a fun night. And then the third night will be a a time of worship, and that'll be in August. So plan uh, this coming Tuesday, 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock. There's a sign up in the foyer. You can also let Tony know in the church office and she'll get you written down as well. All right, let's start with a word of prayer tonight. Very proud we come tonight. We're thankful for tonight. We're thankful for the opportunity on this day to come and as your people and to hear from your truth and to ponder and to think about uh, who you are and what you're doing, what you've done. Uh, our Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray uh, for the opportunity tonight as our as our kids are taught, as our youth are taught, as our other classes are meeting, again, that we just grow in the knowledge of your truth and that the result will be much glory to you. And so we just come thanking you for this opportunity. We pray that you would open our ears, our hearts, our minds, uh, that you would speak and that you would lead us tonight. We trust all this to you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, tonight we're going to continue our study of the grand scheme of things. Uh, We're actually starting to pick up pace. We spent a lot of time uh, on on some of the characters that we've traveled across so far. Tonight we go to the account of Job. Uh, The the verses for tonight are the entire book of Job. Uh, We're not going to read that. I would encourage you to spend some time to read that account. Uh, maybe you've already done that, but we're going to talk about the entire account of Job. We're going to actually pull some stuff out of it for us to think about tonight. Let me, let me just give you a kind of a quick rundown before we start. Here's a couple things about Job. We are not sure when it is written. And there are some folks that, that try to guess and try to speculate, but the honest answer is we're not sure when it is written. We're not sure when it takes place. Uh, we believe from some of the things in it that it was written after it took place, and somebody so somebody is recording it, uh, recounting it to us. But we're not sure when this account takes place. We're not sure who writes it. We're not sure who the author is, and so uh, that's a that's a guess as well. You're going to see, and we're going to we're going to look at it tonight. It is a complicated account that brings up or introduces. Uh, Many issues or thoughts that are hard to think about. And so as you go through it, uh, I'll I'll just tell you, one of the hardest books to look at is the book of Job. As you do it, sometimes you think, well, I'm getting this settled, and two more issues will spring up out of it. So it is complicated, uh, hard things to consider, to think about. uh, And this is a good place, and that's what I'm glad about tonight. It is a good place for us to be reminded that God wants us to know his word. God's word is knowable. Sometimes we read something and say, that doesn't make any sense. I'm not sure we can figure that out. God's word is knowable. God wants us to know his word. And the truth is there is a blessing and there is a benefit to seeking to know God's word. So when we go in this tonight and you think that's a hard issue, I'm not sure I grasp that fully, understand, God wants us to know His word and He blesses us as we endeavor to know His word. All right, 42 chapters, Again, I would encourage you to take some time and to read through those chapters. Now as I was planning this, there are many ways that we could study uh, Job. There's many ways that we could move through the book of Job. We could go verse by verse, uh, and we could go chapter by chapter. But I thought for our study tonight, the amount of time that we have tonight, that it would be interesting to look at the characters of the account. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to pull the characters of the account out, and we're going to think about, talk about, look at each of those characters. And so tonight really is just a survey of the players or the participants in the account. Now, to catch us up to speed, I'm going to give us a very quick flyby, a very quick rundown of what happens in the book of Job. Now, again, this is very fast, and we're going to pass over a lot of stuff, but this is going to kind of just set us up for our our thinking of the the participants, uh, the characters, as we talk about them tonight. Uh, Here's a quick rundown. First off, there's a man named Job. He is described as a good man. Uh, The Bible actually says he is blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Now, we, we've talked about that no one is righteous, and no one is sin-free, but a righteous life is a life that seeks to honor God, to consider God, to be obedient to God. Well, Job is described as a man that's upright. He fears, he respects, he considers God, and he turns away from evil. Now, in a strange account, a strange event, God points him out to Satan. Uh, Satan is in heaven. He is in the presence of God, and he appears before God, and and God points him out. Um, Have you seen my man Job? Basically is what he says. Have you considered my man Job? And, and, And Satan says, well, of course he honors you. Of course he is trying to walk in obedience. He's so blessed Look at all the stuff. Look at all of his wealth. Look at all the good things. Of course he tries to honor you, to follow you. He's so blessed, he'd be crazy to do otherwise. And so Satan says, it's because his life is so great. Here's what he says. I wonder what he would do if his life were not so great. And so God allows him, Satan, to test Job. God allows it to test Job. Now, when you read the account, it's kind of interesting. It says, his herds die, his servants die, his crops fail, his kids are at a dinner, the roof falls in, and they die. And I think sometimes we think, well, that's spread out over a long period of time. I've always heard the statement, the patience of Job. Man, you've got the patience of Job. It's actually one after another. One bad thing happens, the reports come in in one day. And so the servant comes in and says, the the goats are all dead, and and someone's come and taken them, and then your crops have all failed, and then that that messenger leaves, and then someone comes in and says, this terrible thing has happened to your kids. One bad report after another bad report after another bad report. Now, the Bible says on that day, hearing all of that, that Job's response is he worships God. He says, naked I came into the world, naked I'm going to go out of the world. I didn't have anything when I came in, I'm not going to have anything when I leave. He says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Here's what he actually says, blessed is the name of the Lord. I came in naked, I'll go out naked, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed is the name of the Lord. The Bible says, he does not sin, he does not blame God. He doesn't curse God. He doesn't say, what an evil God has allowed these things to happen to me, but he actually worships God. That's his response. He's going to worship God. Satan and God meet up again, and they talk again. And, and Satan said, well, he has all these good things. Of course he follows you. But now he's removed those things, and he still follows. Well, Satan says, yeah, but he still has his health. And I don't, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, when, when someone's health is gone, uh, it's another level than just material things. And he says, his flesh, his bones have not failed. They are not impacted. And Satan says, you know what, if he loses his health, then he will curse God. And so you know what, you've, you, we've taken these things away, and he's worshiped God, but he has his health. And so you know what, if his, if his flesh fails him, if his bone fails him, then he will curse God. So God allows Satan to test Job. Uh, The account is really terrible. He is covered in sores. He is thin, so thin that his friends can't recognize him. He is scraping his sores. Really the best word is he's in complete misery, absolute misery. No relief, covered in sores, pain. He is... Total, total misery. His response is this in in chapter 2, verse 10. He says, should we not accept adversity if we also accept good? And so you know what? He stays the course. He worships God. You know what? When I had good things, I worshiped God. How how am I going to not worship him in the hard times as well? That's a pretty fast rundown of what happens in, in the account of Job. Now, at that point in the book, in the account, the rest of the book, really if you read it, is a rolling, moving, examination and discourse of the events. The friends come. They try to figure out how to explain this. Job tries to figure out what's happening here. His wife tries to give her version as well. And so really... The rest of the account is just an attempt to try to make sense of this, to try to reconcile this. In that, there are hard, hard issues. There are hard issues for us tonight. There's hard issues for us to wrap our head around tonight. There's hard issues for us to try to come up with an answer for tonight. Let me give you some of the questions, some of the issues that they talk about and that we see in this account. Here's here's a couple questions. Does God allow suffering? Does God allow suffering? That's one of the questions we think about. Here's, a, here's an even greater one. Does God cause suffering? Is that who he is? Is that what he would do? Does he, is he the cause of suffering? What does God do in our suffering? What does he do? Does is he, is he pull back? Does he let us suffer? Does he come as the, as the remedy, as the deliverer for that? What does God do in our suffering? Here's one. Is sin the reason we suffer? There's a whole thought, uh, really a whole theology that says sin must be the reason and sin is the cause. And so if you're suffering, it must be because of your sin or maybe somebody else's sin. Is sin why we suffer? Out of that, still in the same process, what is worship? What is worship? Is it what we do on Sunday? Is it when we sing? Is it an event that you can schedule. What is worship? When do we worship? Do we worship when we've been delivered from suffering? Do we worship when we have no suffering? Do we worship in the midst of suffering? Why do we worship? Why do we worship as God's people? Again, is it because, well, I've been delivered from suffering. It's time then to worship. Why do we worship? Here's one. What about things we can't understand? That's hard. This makes no sense. And you know what? I've prayed about it and I've thought about it and I've looked into it, and it doesn't make any sense. What about things that make no sense? What about things we do not like? And I think sometimes we get trained: well, you you follow Christ, you have to like everything. What if you say, I don't like this? I didn't like that sickness. I don't like this death. I don't like this funeral. I don't like these events. I wouldn't have done it this way. This wouldn't be my plan. What about things we do not like? A big, huge question out of this, who really is God? Who is God? Do we understand him? Can we understand him? Do we understand him better after looking at this event, after working through these events? Huge questions, questions that that people spend a lifetime trying to come up with answers for, questions that that churches, denominations come up with different answers for, huge, big questions come out of this account. All right, so these people really are spinning around trying to find answers to come up with an answer to those questions. All right, from that, I'm just going to run you through. And again, I thought, well, there's many ways to look at this To read 42 chapters would be kind of crazy. Uh, So so one way to study is to look at the, the participants of the account. So I'm just going to give you a rundown of the participants of the account and maybe some things to think about from those participants. First one is Job. Here's what we know about Job. Probably not an Israelite. He's probably not an Israelite. He is blameless, upright, Fearing God, he respects, he reveres and honors God. That's who he is. Uh, On Sunday night, we were talking about what does it mean to respect God. I think one of the great definitions is to consider him. We can go through life and not consider, does this honor God? Does this dishonor God? Is this something that would bring honor to him? What would he say about this thing? What has his word told me to do about this thing? To, To respect God, to revere God is to consider God. He considers God when he does business. He considers God how he speaks. Evidently, he considers God. It says he turns away from evil. He tries to live in the honor of God. It's funny, just this Sunday night, the verses again were one of the things we have to become proficient at is identifying evil and turning away from evil. Guess what? He sees evil. He doesn't try to get close to it. He gets away from it. All right, it says he is very wealthy, the greatest of all the men of the East. He is wealthy. He, he is wealthy, the greatest of all the men of the East. Here's something else we see about him. He loves and intercedes for his kids. He loves his kids, and it said when they had their banquet, when they had their dinner, he would go and pray and offer sacrifices for his kids. He intercedes for his kids. He deeply trusts God. His first response, man, he must trust God. His second response, he must trust God. Even the things he wrestles with, a lot of the problem is he trusts God, and he's trying to see how that's going to reconcile. He worships God for who he is. What he knows of God, what he understands of God, that's why he worships God. He worships God for who he is. Here's, a, here's an interesting thing about Job. He knows what he has done and not done. And I think when you read the account, he doesn't do anything wrong. Did he, he, he messed up and so God said do that. He earned this thing and so God said do that. No, he says he's righteous. He does, a good, he, does, he does a good thing in trying to honor me. And so he says, I don't know that I've done anything wrong. I don't know how I'm blamed Blamed in this situation. He knows what he has and he has not done. Here's a a big one that kind of hurts. He feels life is pointless in suffering, futile in suffering. He feels like life has no value in suffering. And as you read through the account and as you listen to what he says, he he, he gets to the place that he actually lets, lets it out what he believes. If life hurts this bad, there must not be any value in it. And he says, I wish I never, was never born. I rue the day that I was born. Wish I'd never been born. Life is pointless in suffering. It doesn't make any sense in suffering. And, and he starts to question, is there any value in suffering? Now, I want you to start to see a, a theme. I'll, I'll bring it up a couple of times. But it's the theme of suffering. He becomes frustrated in his lack of understanding. And, and he just, he doesn't, he doesn't get it. And that's frustrating to him. He's upset with that. He feels betrayed, insulted, and humiliated in suffering. Chapter 30, verse 1. As people see him suffer, he's embarrassed. As he is found suffering, he's embarrassed. As he wonders why he's suffering, he is, he is humiliated in that. So the fact that he's suffering, He is humiliated. He trusts God to do the right thing. And and, and we're going to see in a second that's really the issue. He trusts God to do the right thing, and yet I'm suffering, so is this the right thing? He trusts God to set things right. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand in, in the end day on the earth. He knows that God will set things right, that God will do the right thing. I believe... More than anyone in this account, he appears to know God. Now, he has some some questions. He has some things that, that are hard to work out. But I think more than anybody in this account, he appears to know God. Now, here's the problem. But he can't understand his situation. Hear that again. He seems more than anybody to know God, but he can't understand his situation. Suffering has him baffled not who God is, not, not what he's done, suffering. Why is there great suffering? I want you to think about that for us. Isn't that one of the great issues of today? Well, if God is good, why do people suffer? If God is good, why do infants die? Why does this happen if God is good? Maybe God's not good. Is God powerful? Maybe if he, if he, if he, if he, If he's not able to stop it, maybe he's not powerful. Why do good people suffer? Why do bad people seem to to do okay? Suffering has him baffled. He seems more than anybody in the account to know God. He's got a long way to go, but he can't understand the situation. That's kind of a quick picture of Job. The next person, Job's wife. (laughs) She might get a bad rap. She may deserve it. I don't know. But there's not a lot said about Job's wife. Here's the, here's the deal with Job's wife. She can't see how hardship and suffering can be justified for a good person. And that's her deal. She knows Job has integrity. She knows Job has done the right thing. And yet she sees him hurting. She knows he's actually trying to honor God. And she can't see the point in his suffering. And so here's what she decides. You honor God and you suffer? You might as well curse God and die. That's what she says. Curse God and die. If you do all the things he wants you to do and you suffer, well, that makes no sense. That's pointless. You might as well curse God and die. Now, let me just say this. That's not a good response. But if we go slow... And look at it. Doesn't it actually make sense? And so you honor God, and so you try to listen to God, and you try to obey God, and this is what you get? It's not a good response, but it starts to kind of make sense. Let me sum her up. She can't understand the situation. She's watched him, and he is God-honoring. She's watched him, and he's done the right thing. She's watched him work, and he's built all this stuff. And she's watching him thin, so thin you can't recognize him out there scraping his sores. She cannot understand the situation. Some are up like this. She doesn't get it. She can't understand the situation. All right, here's a, here's a set of folks that are, I think are misunderstood and sometimes misinterpreted and sometimes um, attacked harshly. And that are, that's Job's friends. He has these friends. And, and sometimes he'll read the account and say, oh, I hope you don't have friends like Job. You don't need friends like Job. Um, <laughs> let me tell you something. They're actually good friends. And let me, let me tell you why. You'd be doing well to have friends like Job. First thing they do, let me walk you through this. They come to Job. I don't know, maybe you would agree. Have you noticed a lot of times when you get in big trouble, some folks just disappear. They don't come around. And I don't know if they don't know what to say. I don't know if they're embarrassed. I don't know if it's just awkward. But they just disappear. Guess what his friends do? He doesn't go sin for them. They come to Job. That's a big deal. Those are good friends. They sought, the Bible says this, to comfort and sympathize with Job. They actually come and their goal of their coming is to comfort him to sympathize with him. He is sorrowful, he is hurt, and their goal is to comfort and sympathize with Job. Those are good friends. you do well to have friends like that. Here's, Here's a weird thing. It says they sat with Job. It says for seven days they said not a word. You ever been somewhere and it's a tough situation? And you go somewhere and somebody's just passed away or somebody's getting ready to pass away or some terrible things happen and there's no words to say. And you get there and you think, I'd like to say something profound, but it's, everybody's distraught and there's just nothing to say. Well, you know what they did? They sat down and they stayed there seven days. And they didn't try to say something and they didn't try to say meaningless things and they didn't try to dream up something that might make him feel better they cared enough to go and just sit down and just be with them. You know what? Those are good, good friends. They come, they seek to comfort them, they stay with them, they care about him. Now, here's something that happens, and I think it's just a natural thing. As that plays out, as they begin to process that, what has happened here? What's going on here? They know what Job is like. What in the world's happened here? They start to think they have to defend God. And they start to think maybe they even have to speak for God. I'll show you that. I'll explain that. But as they're sitting there, they start to go, we better defend God. We better speak for God. Let me make a point right here, and the point holds true. If God is who we say he is, he doesn't need defending, and so sometimes we think I got to defend him, or I got to explain him, or, I got to make sure everybody understands he really is good. If God is infinitely good, if He's infinitely loving, if He's gracious, kind, powerful, infinite wisdom, if He's all the things that we say He is, He doesn't need our defending. It's just pointless to say I'm here to defend God. They start to feel, seeing the bad situation, we better defend God. We better speak for God. The first guy says this. Let me go through their arguments. God is just. He does the right thing. He is upright. He does the righteous thing. And because of that, innocent people do not suffer. So listen, innocent people do not suffer because God does the right thing. And so here's the thing. If someone is suffering, they must not be innocent. And so this guy's just sitting there. he been sitting there a week. He's trying to figure the whole thing out. And he just says this. God does the right thing, and innocent people don't suffer. And so if you're suffering, you must not be innocent. Here's the thing. He understands God, but he doesn't understand the situation. Start to see that starting to be everybody's problem. God is just. God is upright. God always does the righteous thing. He's right about that but he doesn't understand the situation. Can't make sense of it. Here's a question. Can you suffer? You. Can you suffer and God be righteous? Does that add up? Will that reconcile? If you're suffering, does that mean God's not righteous? Can you be suffering and God always still do the right thing? This guy got the idea. It must be you. It must be you. Do you know that's still here today? And I'll I'll see people and someone will be in great suffering and they'll say, well, they must have done something. There must be something we don't know about. Maybe there's some secret sin. It must be them. That's the first friend. Second friend, he shows up. He starts to speak up. And here's what he says. God rewards those, God blesses those who do good. He is just, he does the righteous thing. And so because he rewards those who do good, innocent people do not suffer. So guess what? You must not be innocent. You must not be a good person. God rewards those who do good. You're not being rewarded. The problem must be with you. Guess what? Same issue. He understands good. God does reward those who do good. God does bless those who honor him. He is always righteous he does understand God, but again, he doesn't understand the situation. Notice the theme is now starting to catch up, and it's starting to grow, and it's starting to get bigger, and it's starting to pick up speed. This does not make sense. And that's you sit there, and you start to try to go, okay, I'm going to diagram it. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going I'm to write it out. This does not make sense. It doesn't make sense. They're trying to reconcile it. All right, here's the next friend. God is the ruler of all things. God is sovereign, which means that he's the ruler. He is wise. He is perfect in understanding. He is far above us. And so you should not question him. And so he tells basically Job don't question God. He's he's sovereign. He rules. He's just. He's perfect. He's perfect in wisdom. And so do not question God. Job, don't question God. Don't even, don't, even have a, don't even try to speak a word. Notice again, to an extent, he understands God. Is he sovereign? Yes. Is he the ruler? Yes. Is he perfect in wisdom? Yes. Again, his issue is he doesn't understand the situation. This makes no sense. Notice this. What is the problem that has them all baffled? It's suffering. And I, don't, I, I, I look at that and I go, I think that's still the issue. There are theologies that are built trying to explain that away. There's people that come along and try to, to give God an, an easy out and say it must be you, it must be your faith. Um, it's the problem of suffering. And that here we go. Here it is. It's the problem of suffering. Hard to explain. Is God good if he allows suffering? Is he good if he could stop it and still allows it? Is he powerful? Can he stop it? The problem of suffering. Why does bad things happen to good people? All right. Those are the friends. That's the wife. That's Job. Here we come and we catch a, a quick picture of Satan. Now, this is not a full revelation of Satan. It's not a full explanation of Satan but we do see some things about Satan that we should pull out of here. Here's what we see about Satan in the book of Job. First thing we see is this. He is real. He is real. Not fake, not superstition. He he is real. Satan is real. That's what we see. Second thing we see is this. He is not equal to God. Now that's, that's worth talking about. We have an idea that there's God and there's Satan. And there's God fighting against Satan. And if you look at the tuna can, there's God on this shoulder and there's Satan on this shoulder. And they're equals and they're fighting, and we got to see who's going to win this thing. Be sure and understand Satan is not equal to God. Satan is a created being. He is not God. He's not the opposite of God. He is not equal to God. Be sure and understand that. So he is real, yes. He's not equal to God. He answers to God. God rules over him. Notice in the account, notice in the New Testament, he has to ask God for permission. Guess what? God rules over him. He answers to God. All right, here's here's something interesting. And God does give him leeway. Can I do this? He allows him to do it. In this present age, this present evil age is what the Bible says in the book of Galatians. He's the prince of this world. God does give him leeway and God uses his actions. So he, he is evil. He seeks the destruction of mankind to steal, kill, and destroy. Guess what? God gives him leeway right now and he uses his actions. Here's something else we see. And it's, it's, it's something as you read Job's response, and you see what Satan does in response to that. Satan cannot stand devotion to God. And so when he sees Job and Job is, is, is following God and he's, and he's blessing the name of God, he can't stand it and he says, yeah, of course you would if you had all that money. Of course you would if you had those good things. He can't stand it. Well, yeah, you would if you still had your health. He cannot stand Devotion to God. Let me tell you this. Today, guess what Satan can't stand? Devotion to God. And I'll just tell you, I I truly believe this. There are people that, you know what, he doesn't mess with. Seems like he just lets them skate. You know why? They're not a threat. They're not a problem. But when you say, you know what, I'm going to walk in obedience to God, and I'm going to carry the name of Christ, and I'm going to live in a different way, guess what starts to happen? Trouble, problems, attacks, crazy stuff. Satan is real and he cannot stand devotion to God. Here's something else about Satan. He wants people to fail. He's not satisfied with neutrality. He He wants to destroy you. He wants to tear you to pieces. He wants to mess up your home. He wants to mess up your reputation. He wants to mess with your brain. He wants you to fail. Satan is set against you, he's opposed to you, and he, he can't stand devotion to God, he wants to see people fail. And then ultimately all of that, what's he doing, what's he want for people, ultimately all of that comes to this. He seeks the dishonor of God. Sum it all up as that. He seeks the dishonor of God. Well, this guy's devoted to you. Well, you know what, I'll make a mess of him, but it's gonna reflect on the fact that you're less than powerful, you're less than wise, you're less than gracious or kind, And you know what? If I can't do anything about the fact that you are those things, I'll mess up your reputation. I'll mess up the truth that says you are those things. So guess what he does then? He attacks the Word of God. You know what? He's not truly this. Has he truly said? If he can't mess up the truth of God, he's going to mess up what we hold and believe as the truth of God. He seeks the dishonor of God. All right, that's Satan. Moving on. Next is God himself, God himself. Not the full revelation of God, we know that. That's all the way from Genesis to Revelation. Not a complete understanding of God just from this, but it is is a, a pretty good indication of who God is. Here's a couple things we see about God in the book of Job. He is over all things. He is sovereign. He is over all things, creator of all things, sustainer of all things, the ruler of all things. Nothing has escaped his rule. He is over all things. He truly does possess all power, all knowledge, all wisdom. We could could add to that list. He does possess those, and then listen. And he truly is good. He truly is good. And I think this is where the start of the conflict begins. He's all powerful, perfect in wisdom, perfect in might, and he truly is good. And so we start to have a problem going, isn't that a conflict? We see things that aren't good in our, in our world that we, we can't understand. The fact that they're happening, maybe he's not all powerful. Maybe he's not really good. And that's where the conflict starts to come in. He truly is all of those things equally at all times. He allows testing Of Good people. Old Testament, New Testament says the same. He allows testing. Now that testing, the result of that is to build faith and steadfastness, character, Christ likeness for us. He does allow the testing of good people. Here's something else. God uses suffering. I think that is a indication of how powerful he is. You see, when bad things happen, he's not lost. He's not defeated. He doesn't crumble the way we would. He's able to take terrible bad things and use them for good. He's able to take suffering and use them for good. The greatest, I'll just say it, the greatest, I think the greatest times of growth in my life that I got closer to God till I had a better picture of who God is and then I grew my trust of God, came in great times of suffering. And I'll say, man, I don't want to ever go through that again. Oh, I don't want to ever go through that year again or those two years or that event or that week. I don't want to ever have to do that again. But in those events, those are the times I said, you know what, he is faithful and he doesn't leave us and he doesn't forsake us and he is good and he is kind and he is gracious and he is mighty and he is sovereign and in control And so, you know what, in all these different ways, God uses suffering. Here's something else we see, and and it's all the way through Scripture, He is the same. The, The reason they could grow in their knowledge of Him is because He doesn't change. What if you get to know something about God, but then it changes next year or next generation? He's the same then, He's the same now, He doesn't change. That's how we're able to have confidence in our knowledge of Him. He is the same He doesn't change. All right, that's a lot of stuff. We could probably go another three months. We could look at a whole lot of stuff. Let me pull some takeaways out of that. What do we take away out of that? Wow, a lot of stuff, a lot of words, a lot of big stuff. I don't know that we got a whole lot of stuff reconciled. Let me give you some takeaways from what we've done so far. First thing is this. God wants us to know him and to grow in our knowledge of him. That's why he gives us his word. That's why he's patient with us. God wants us to know him and to grow in our knowledge of him, and yet he's beyond our comprehension. And that, that just, I'll just tell you what, that's frustrating. That, that, some, sometimes that just is hard to swallow. He wants you to know him, but he's too big to know. He wants you to comprehend him, you can't comprehend him. That's a source of frustration. Here's something I wrote down, and and it's one of the favorite things I just came out of this. God is bigger than the context we find him in. That sounds goofy, but I want you to think about that very slowly. God is bigger than the context we find him in, which means this. If you find him in your suffering, he's bigger than your suffering. If you find him in good days, he's bigger than your good days. He's so much more than that. If you find him in this stage of life, he's bigger than that. God is bigger than the context we find him. Sometimes we go, I got God figured out, got him understood. I've got these 41 verses. I've been in church for three straight years. You know what? He's bigger than where you find him. And if you find him in suffering, he's bigger than that. If you find him in good days, he's bigger than that. If you find him and you see him as the creator of all things, he's bigger than that. God is bigger than the context we find him in. That is mind-blowing. I, I, say, <laughs> I say this sometimes. I think, I think it was in 2017. I was, I was preaching a sermon, and, and the point of the sermon says, I think one of the reasons we've lost our commitment to following Christ is because we've lost our astonishment of God. And I start to think, I think that's true the problem. Because when you see who God is, and when you see what he's done, what he's doing, if you see his nature and his character, you're going to want to read about him. You're going to want to hear about him. You're going to want to serve him. You're going to want to walk with him. God is mind-blowingly bigger than any context that we find him in. All right? That's huge. That's just the first point. second point is this. Suffering is not meaningless. And I think we live in a day where the world says, Suffering needs to be avoided. Suffering, you need to get out of it quickly. Suffering means you've lost. Suffering has no value. Suffering's tough. That's why it's suffering. But it is not meaningless. God works in suffering. God shows us his grace in suffering. There is value in suffering. Here's something that, that I wrote these notes up and then after I'd written it a couple times, I came back and added this line. We really ought to be careful to speak to God's motive if we do not know his motive. And I'm going to try to make that understandable. Sometimes we say, well, God did that, and that's why he did it. And people say, yeah, that, amen, that's what he did. We don't know that's his motive. Let me give you an example of this. And this is this is where I started thinking about it. month ago, I think, maybe a little longer, tornadoes coming, and it, it's coming toward Vernon and then it turns and goes to Lockett. And listen, and I'm, these are just well meaning people, and they say, God is gracious and he spared Vernon and turned the tornado. What if you live in Lockett? Well, Dad Gum, he must be mad at me. He must not be gracious to me. And then, and then the people in Lockett, you know, you go the other side. If, if you're in Lockett and he doesn't turn it and it takes all of Vernon out, do you sit in it and say, he loves Lockett, and we're living a righteous life and praise the Lord for that. I don't know why it turned. Nobody knows why it turned. It may have turned in judgment. It may have turned in grace and kindness. He may have been judging lock Lockett. He may have been sparing Vernon. It may be the exact opposite of that. But we have to be careful to not be like Job's friends and show up and go, Well, you know what, this is what God was doing and this is why. Half the people are going to say, well, (laughs) I feel like I just got lumped in with the, the crowd that got destroyed. Do not speak to motive if God hasn't told you what the motive is and through his word. All right, here's the next point. God is worthy of worship and able to be trusted in all situations. If you'll walk with him, he'll show that to you over and over and over and over and over and over. And you'll think, boy, when I was 22, I thought I knew he was faithful. And boy, when I was 36, I thought I knew he was faithful. And boy, when I was 51, I was convinced he's faithful. As you walk with him, you're going to see he does not leave you. He does not forsake you. His way is best. He's kind and gracious to us as sinners. God can be trusted in all situations. I hope I learned that more tonight. And I hope I learned that more next week. A lot of times something will happen. And I just go crazy and go into every which direction. And then I come back and go, yeah, but he's faithful in all situations. I wish I would get there quicker. And I wish sometimes I wouldn't go into such a a spin before I got there. God is faithful in all situations, trustworthy in all situations, and worthy of worship. Here's my favorite point to the whole thing. In Job chapter 9, Job is talking and he says i haven't done anything wrong i haven't done anything wrong he knows he knows what he's done but he also is remembering who god is he's just he's perfect and so he's sitting there going i haven't done anything wrong but i know who god is and in chapter 9 he says and even then i can't i can't approach him i'm not good enough to talk to him i have no i have no wait with him and he says who will be our umpire and that's that's the word that it uses in the new american standard we got to have an umpire i'm i have nothing wrong i still can't even i'm not worthy to approach him and ask these questions we have to have an umpire well guess what in hebrews it says we have a mediator we have a go-between we have an umpire and where Job says, you know what, I can't even approach God. And you know what, we can't either, but we see Jesus already. Here's what I think is interesting. I believe, and I think a lot of other folks believe, this is probably the first recorded book of Scripture. Uh, I believe it's, it's, the, it's the oldest one put to pen and written down. Uh, the Bible's not chronological, and I truly believe that. And so here's what I think. In the first recorded words of Scripture, We already see Jesus. Who will go for us? Who will will be our mediator? Who will stand for us as ruined sinners? And the answer is Jesus. Listen to this. Job chapter 19, verse 25. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. First, I think first verse is ever pinned down, written down for us to hold. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last He will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. Our mediator, our umpire is Jesus. From the very start, it points to Jesus. I'm glad you're here tonight. Big stuff, heavy stuff. Go back and read the account and and ask God to speak to you you as you read his word. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. Be sure to remember the sign-up sheet, ladies, is at the foyer, or you can tell Tony, and she'll get you marked down for the ladies' event Tuesday. Invite somebody to join you. Dream Father, we come. We're thankful for you. We're thankful that we can know you. We're thankful that you want us to know you. I'm thankful that your word, if we spend time in it, is a blessing to us. And I pray for the things we don't understand, that you you would enlighten us, that you would lead us in your spirit that lives in us. I pray the things we do not like, the things we do not understand, that we would come to a solid conclusion. You are faithful. You are trustworthy. You are kind and gracious to us. Our hope is well placed in our Redeemer, Jesus. And I thank you for that. I pray for folks in this room tonight dealing with all sorts of stuff. Maybe it's in their finances. Maybe it's in their relationships. Maybe it's in their homes. But I pray, Lord, as they leave here tonight, that they would understand we have a Savior, We have a God that sees and knows and a God that saves and that we are safe in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for that. We praise you for that. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Glad you're here. You're dismissed.